Hello there and welcome to the second episode of Hot Water by Coworkies, a podcast where we discuss the future of work and workspaces through various angles and with professionals from all over the world. This second episode is a bit special as it was recorded during Hack Coworking Online, a global hackathon opening up the conversation around coworking in a post-COVID-19 world. Listening to this episode, you will e-travel with me to San Francisco to meet Nelly Hayat, Workplace Strategist Consultant, who previously worked for companies like Stripe. With Nelly, we talked about the role of the co-working industry in building the new normal and how decisions of companies like Twitter or Facebook to allow remote work permanently can positively impact the entire industry and more. Let's dive into the conversation. Welcome back, everyone. This is the last talk of day one. It went so fast. That's pretty crazy. I'm really excited about the upcoming talk. I think you guys should take a pen, a sheet of paper, and take a lot of notes, especially if you are a co-working space operator or if you own a co-working space. You will find this really, really interesting. We were just before in Canada. We are going to fly all the way to San Francisco to meet Nelly Hayat. Hi, Nelly. Are you here? Hello. How are you, Pauline? Ooh, nice. <laughs> you have a way better lighting than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, California um, weather is pretty amazing. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I actually am really happy to wrap up the day with you. We learned a lot today about different co-working operators, architects. Um, we had many perspectives on, uh, on various angles, and I think having you as a wrap-up is the perfect ending for day one. So just as a start, maybe can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit also about your background? Yeah, so I, uh, I come from a very technical background. I studied industrial engineering and I started building planes before I moved to building offices. And that's very much following the trend that happened over the past 10 years. Like people start having a different vision of how they work and where they want to work. And what used to be very boring of uh, building cubicles turned into building Disneyland for employees or members. Um, and so I got so passionate about this industry. And after three years working for Stripe and building the community and building physical spaces where this community can thrive, I'm now advising clients and helping as a consultant to broaden this perspective that we have in Silicon Valley. So we named the talk the role of co-working. And I want to talk with you about What was the role, in your opinion, of the co-working industry before COVID-19? So it's a trend that started around 2010, and it was very niche. Uh, this idea of building a space for freelancers or single companies to have a desk outside of their comfort of their home to come and work. And it turned in 10 years into something very different in a massive industry that was leading the way in many different aspects. And so the role was really become clear that they were a disruptor and they were doing a revolution on the way we were thinking about work on the value of the work that people were doing and of the care we wanted to give them for them to really be their best self and do their best work. I was looking at some numbers and we were expecting, like the prediction was that by the end of 2020, there would be 20,000 co-working spaces in the world. And to have an idea, there was like a new space opening every five days in London. 
or every seven days a new space, a new co-working space would open in New York, which is insane. And the spaces have this challenge of attract people. And this is where they really disrupt the industry because what used to be only accessible to employees of large companies, like people were used to have the space that were curated for them, where employers were doing everything they could to build a space where people would be very productive. Suddenly, the co-working industry was building it for anyone. Anyone could access to it. And because they needed to be profitable, which is good, they needed to be more people-centric on listening to their members, listening what they need to do their best work, listening to what could inspire them to do their best work. And also, they were tracking and measuring to make sure that any square fit could be well-utilized for their members. And this is how... Suddenly, there was this relationship between the co-working industry and large companies where they would compete on attracting talent and retaining talent. Uh, and that was the first time that another computer were, were competing with companies on the physical space and the, the value of this physical space on the happiness and the productivity of their, of their members. And over the past three or four years, it was very common for large companies to follow the design of co-working spaces. Architects would go to WeWork, IWG, or content with their architects to understand how should I design the office for my people? Because co-working spaces, as they were listening to their members, they got a very strong knowledge of millennials or remote people on how to create a community of people who don't have to come to this space every day, which is opposite to companies who have more of a retention on that. And how do you build interaction with people who work on very different things, which is still a challenge in companies? How do you make people from accounting talk with people in the design team, for instance? co-working industries just with their experience and their broader audience got a lot of knowledge and were actually leading the way and showing how to do it to large companies. It's very true. And it's, as you said, when it all started, or at least to the Silicon Valley itself with like the Google and like all the big companies doing those really cool designs, it seemed like if you could not join those companies, this was not for you. So, exactly. and then, yeah, exactly. When, when co-working came into the picture, uh, suddenly all the perks and like uh, this uh, instant connection with anybody uh, got really mainstream, which is the, the beauty of co-working also. Exactly. Um, and I think not only they change, they afford this activity to the, to the, to a physical space, but they build new roles that never existed before, like a community manager, like a, a head of happiness, uh, like a head of member engagement. And again, like other companies try to follow this movement because they knew that this is what people wanted and what this is how, what they needed to have this desire to come out of their home and come to a physical space. Yeah, and uh, it's very true, like the community manager, like the role of itself that comes from the social media background and now that move to coaching. And I see uh, companies are trying to get those community managers in their companies and call them office manager and chief happiness officer, but it's just not the same. And also we see it with coworkers that uh, there is still a lot of misunderstandings, even for candidates, what's a community manager in the coworking space. They think it's social media when it's actually yeah. very much about human and, and bringing people together. And uh, it's also, I think, community manager secret source of coworking spaces because mm -hmm. uh, when they are well trained and and they are the ones who create the sparks between people and who can really enhance the overall experience that you're trying to um, bring to the people who use your space. Can we remain optimistic uh, about the future of the coworking industry? Because what we've seen in the slides of everybody today was like uh, from Ben from Coworking Dell to tonight was like. 
the next coming months are going to be quite tough. And a lot of the people who are watching this now or who also signed up, they were like, oh, uh, how will the industry recover? Is it the end of co-working? So what's your opinion or your take on that? So it's very interesting, but that's very much a Silicon Valley mentality. Everything is an opportunity. So we all digest the shock of the crisis, but then suddenly minds start working again and be like, oh, that's actually our chance to build a better future. We had already something that was amazing, but somehow there was some like missed opportunity or we were not doing like we were not taking it to the next step. Now it's our chance. Um, and so here people are very optimistic. I would say for three main reasons. Um, first, again, co the co-working industry was the first to act. Like they moved really fast after the crisis. They start showing their first floor plans where they were including social distancing, like an increased um, uh, number of cleaning or different cleaning schedule. And again, they showed the industry and other companies what we can do with the new restriction that we have. So that's very optimistic because their members know that they were cared for and the industry is listening again to the co-working industry. So they're keeping and remaining their role as a leader. I would say that the second thing that should keep people very optimistic is that if remote work was niche or trend thing, not everywhere and everywhere, like every, and everywhere and every, um, and for everyone. Large companies like Mark Zuckerberg for, from Facebook, I'm sure you read, just said recently that probably in the next five years, 50% of their employees will be remote. If the prediction of their headcount growth um, is aligned with what we have today, we're talking about 50,000 people. Only just Facebook. When Google has 100,000 people, if we think again, only half of it needs a place to work. And if we combine the employees of Google, of, um, of Uber or Twitter or Square, uh, we're reaching the million. And it's not even looking at the people who are unemployed today. Only in the US, there were 20 million people who lost their job out of COVID. I think thinking of a world where everybody has a desk at home that is set is a foreseeable future. And many companies are now offering a stipend for their employees to do that. But if you're a freelancer, nobody's doing this for you. And even if you have that at home, because you had to during the past few months, it doesn't it doesn't fulfill your need of social interaction. And even after COVID, the idea of like, Coming to a space where there's a high energy and from this energy, your work is benefiting because you feel the energy of hardworking. You feel, you feel that you are inspired. You create ideas by mingling with different people. It's still something that is very challenging to do over video. And the thing that people are talk a lot about today is they're having a harder challenge to put barriers when everything happened in one place where you wake up, you read, you work, you entertain yourself, then everything becomes blurry and you, you're not as focused as you used to. So thinking that all these remote people and the number of increased people who are going remote might look for a physical space, it's a very good opportunity for the co-working industry. And I would say the last point is that in the past few years, companies really started building relationships with the co-working industry and relying on them to design space for them or to operate space for them because they had this knowledge, they had this global knowledge, actually, and they could really build poor local communities everywhere, even though they were trying to get like a, a broader community. And so companies today are thinking that even more so than before, they want to include the co-working industry within 
their agreement with landlord. So today, that's something we talk about in Silicon Valley. But companies are more willing to sign membership agreement or management agreement. So there will be three parties. There will be the company, there will be the co-working industry, and there will be the landlord. What it does for companies is that we can sign a shorter lease and we can also having more flexibility on the terms of the lease. What it brings for the co-working industry is that, again, they use this knowledge that they have internally to help companies with their employee retention and attraction. And companies who wish to do that, and I think this is maybe something we'll talk about later, but companies who will be working on these two areas, on the B2B, but still on the B2C and talking with your members, will have such a strong knowledge of people of generation and how people work and do their work and what they need to be healthy and positive will benefit the entire world. So it's uh, super interesting. And how with you, with your background, for instance, working for Stripe and a lot of working spaces today were really interested in this new target, uh, the new audience of larger companies that uh, don't want to commute and don't want to go to the big offices anymore. They might seek smaller spaces closer to where they live. What do you think their needs are? Or Because you know them, like you worked with Stripe and you've placed certain of the people in co-working spaces. What do bigger companies look for when they look for co-working spaces for their employees, actually? Still a few months ago before COVID, there was this relationship of like brothers, enemies, because we were competing for the same talent. We were offering the same spaces, the same amenities. Somehow, actually, we were still feeling that they were, the co-working issue was a threat to companies because, as I said, they had a, a stronger knowledge on their people because of, they needed to be profitable. They implement technology to measure the, the utilization of their space and make it really more successful. I think today it's great for co-working to, to go toward this B2B world because companies are going to demand for it. And so that's a great opportunity for them. But it will be, I think, a pity for them to move entirely their business to that because they will turn just on being an architecture firm like many others and they will lose their knowledge that they had captured. So I think for companies who can be strong enough and hold for the next few months as they re-attract members in and, and attract this B2B business, they will be the leaders in the market. And to get ready, exactly like you said, like what actions can co-working leaders take to build a better future for all of us users of co-working spaces? That's after like many conversations with experts um, in the industry and many people in Silicon Valley who are already thinking about what we do to make a better future. Um, there's really three things where I think the co-working industry can go to, to have a role in this future and continue being a leader. The first one will be to partner. So partner with companies. Um, companies, again, today are thinking that we cannot let the co-working industry die. They, they showed us the example on what people need to be cared for or what people need to feel that they heard. Um, they showed us the way on how to design a space, signing shorter leads and giving us, giving us more flexibility. So companies are willing to partner with co-working providers to make sure they survive through this storm and be there on the other side so we can work together, which is very encouraging for the co-working industry to know that there's this like push to stay strong and remain relevant in the new world. On partnering also, I think it's time already, I think co-working industry were leading the way in implementing technology to measure the success of their space, to measure space utilization, to measure the, the numbers of members coming and going. 
But today we're going to live in a world where people need more information to make the decision every day or where they want to go. So the world we envision here in Silicon Valley is people will wake up in the morning, take their phone, look at the map where they can see all the spaces that are near them where they don't need to commute. So they can walk, they can bike. Um, they will want to see what's the air quality in each of these spaces today, what's the expected noise level in the space today, and what is the program or the workshop that are happening there, and who from my team is where. Well, where, where is my team at today? Um, and this is where the co-working industry with already this knowledge of how to use technology and having this app where people were already used to see information can really broaden the spectrum and offer what we think that will be the future. So you touched on something that I wanted to talk about. It's like the hub and spoke model. Today, we think and we talk about a world where people don't commute anymore for an hour to get to this massive campus uh, where they used to be lost already. Like people were coming, commuting an hour and sitting at a desk, not really using all the perks that were that their companies were offering and then traveling again another hour to go home. That's not what we think people would do in the future. People, we want to probably have a sh shorter commit and have a better understanding of what are the perks of the day in each of the space so they can make a decision based on their needs. Today, I'd rather have some quiet time, so I'm going to go there because they don't have that many workshops and they have a lot of like quiet rooms that I can use for myself. Or today, I'm feeling very inspired, but I want to learn something. Or today, I want to be with my team, so this is where I would go. And where we think that technology can really bridge the gap between companies and co-working is that employees from this same app will be able to access the program of their office as well as the program of co-working spaces around. And again, co-working industry would show that they offer what people want more. So they will compete with offices and the numbers will show that people want to have a choice probably will go to co-working spaces because this energy, there is this mingling with strangers, this, this mingling with other business that can help you brainstorm new, new ideas. Actually, it's a great thing that you're saying this because like some people are currently hacking and working on projects. So it might give them some inspiration to build an app along those lines if it doesn't exist yet. And to you as a, a workplace strategist, do you think co-working will become part of the strategy of workplaces? So let's say uh, if Google decides to probably have less square footage or square meters, will they then say, okay, we maybe have a smaller office, but then in our workplace strategy, we need co-working spaces? Yeah, a number that uh, the leader of IWG said that all those large companies will give up 30% of their square footage to the co-working industry or the flex industry. It's very interesting to think about this number because it's bigger than it used to be only a few months ago. Um, but again, it shows that there's a competition. They wouldn't say they're going to give 50%. They wouldn't say that it would be as much. So you can expect companies to, again, try to be avant-gardist and redesign a space to attract people to come, especially in a world where most companies' leaders are saying that people are not, like they don't have to come each day anymore. So again, there will be this competition, but where I think that co-working industry can take more space than this 30% that we estimate is by disrupting again. Like they were a disruptor for the past 10 years. We expect them to be. Um, and having a hackathon is offering this potential, like this possibility for people to think about the future and think about the tool that we need to build the future. So when we think about disruption, we think about the jobs that will need to be created in the future on top of the tools that we talked about. But 
if inside companies, people would think about the strategy for flex office, they would need maybe what we're going to call partner partnership manager or flex partnership manager. And on the co-working industry side, it will be them having maybe like mentors on how to engage employees, how to create an experience, how to shift identity. Like it used to be like people had an identity based on the company they were working for or the co-working they were going to. If we are going to a world where it's more fluid, how do you engage people and help them create an identity where they can go everywhere each day? And that's where the co-working industry with their global access to people will prove again that they lead the way. So it's a lot of great news, I think, for the co-working industry as a whole. For you, if someone right now watches us and is not necessarily in the Silicon Valley, do you think this will be something that becomes global or is it still something that Silicon Valley specific? So I, I really think that especially our generation, we feel like we live in a global village. And this is where we work was tapping into this opportunity, knowing that people are nomad, people travel. Like we said that Americans, when they travel, they feel safe when they find a McDonald's. We work did the same. They were able to reassure people on, on telling them, even if you travel to the far end of the world, we'll be there and you know what to get. So I think the co-working industry, as they think about the future and what they can do, knowing that In Silicon Valley, there are a lot of optimists. They can tap into this vibe and be like, okay, we can do it together. There are people who showed previously that they can achieve things and they are optimistic about the future. Yeah, let's let's jump on this vibe because we don't want to die because people believe that we need to keep being relevant in the future. And people also rely on us to disrupt and show a new way. So it can be challenging today to think about the future but again as i said like having this encouragement up in the entire industry of your members of companies being like we need you to be there in the future just remain strong can really i think talk to anyone globally outside of silicon valley great i find it so interesting because it's just giving so much opportunities and also a wider spectrum also a bit of like unknown you know like all those employees that they're pampered kind of when you work for Google, Facebook, like you have such a high salary and so many perks. Uh, so I think also for co-working spaces, it's a bit scary to welcome them because you wonder how they will integrate and how to take care of them. So it's just really interesting to hear what you have to say about it. Let's see if there is a question from the audience. Otherwise, uh, I have one last for you before wrapping up the day. And I think maybe just jumping on what you just said before we go to Trené, it was very difficult today or until a few months ago for a co-working space to show their value to a big company. They were saying, oh, we showed you how to design a space, but you just replicated this. So why do you need us? Or we showed you that you need a community manager and you just hired one. So why do you need us? Or companies were able to like, even if they were not leading and following the co-working industry, they could just replicate because they had the finance to do it. I think where the co-working industry might show again that they're leading the way is that they will have numbers to show where people go each day when they have the, the, the opportunity to make a decision, which was not a thing before. Google employees were like were given access to a rework or to a different space where they were traveling and there was not a Google office, for instance. Today, like companies are going to offer this flexibility to all our under-employees on a daily basis. And as technology will allow people to book a desk or book a space in different spaces, numbers will show at the end of the day, at the end of each month, where are people going? And that will be our validation of the strength of the co-working industry. 
Well, actually, you just answered my last question, so I know uh, it. That's, <laughs> so that's uh, that's really great. Now is a good time to give a shout out to one of our continuous supporters and one of the main reasons we were able to make Hack Coworking and this podcast Cobot. As one of the top coworking management software out there, they are not only supporting good coworking initiatives, but mainly helping coworking spaces with their daily activities like invoicing, members management, meeting room bookings, and more. To check everything they can do for you and for your space, go to cobot.me. And now, let's get back to our conversation with Nelly. How co-working spaces can really keep showing the value that they add to anyone, uh, be it someone from a big corporate company to someone like a freelancer. Because right now, those talents, they are freelancers. They don't necessarily go to Google or Apple. Uh, they work from a co-working space with those companies. But I think what's the dynamic that's interesting is that now it's going to be the other way around. It's like going to be the employees exactly. from Stripe, Google, Apple that are going to make their way to co-working spaces. And exactly. although they are maybe pampered and, and everybody takes care of them in those big campuses, I think sometimes narrowing it down, as you said earlier, like this feeling of it's so big and I don't know, uh, I just sit at my desk and I don't have the time to go around. I think with co-working spaces, they rediscover what a workplace can do for you as well. Because it's exactly. maybe smaller, but you have so much more at your fingertips that you can grasp and, and that you can access when it's not like millions of yeah. square footage. Well, Nelly, thank you so much for sharing those super uh, valuable insights with us. Thank you so much, Pauline, for creating such a good program. And hopefully the next leaders um, will come out of this hackathon. I hope so. I hope so. Ah, wait, we have a ah. question. Yeah. You mentioned that people will look for co-working closer to home. You think there will be growth in smaller spaces with a closer community? That's a strong yes. As I said, like what it's known as hub and spoke model. People are understanding that we need more spaces in the suburbs. People don't want to travel that far. Um, now, the question of whether the spaces in the suburb will be smaller or not, I think that really depends on the local community. If I were to take an example of New York, for instance, like Google have, a, have, or even Facebook, they have a massive campus in Manhattan. What will be the size of the one in Brooklyn, in Queens, in New Jersey, really depend on the talents that are located there. And I think that's the agility that co-working industry has. Like they are able to grow based on the number of people that are coming and adapt to it. But very much so, we believe that we need to rely on the co-working industry to rent more spaces in the suburbs and enable us to go from like headquarter model to a hub and spoke model. Thank you so much once again. Everyone, if you're interested to connect with Nelly, I added her LinkedIn in the welcome kit for participants. So don't hesitate to make your way there and add her if you have any more questions. Or if you are around uh, the region of Silicon Valley and would like to maybe meet her. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Pauline. See you. Have a nice day. Bye, you too. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe to our show and leave a comment to allow others to discover our work. Lastly, if you wish to connect with Nelly or watch our talk during Hack Coworking Online, make your way in the description of this episode where all the useful links have been added. See you soon!